Matt Triathlon Show, episode 60. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I bring back the first ever repeat guest of the show, Matt Dixon from Perfect Patch Fitness. He's about to release his new book, his second book. It's called Fast Track Triathlete, Balancing a Big Life with Big Performance in Long Course Triathlon. And to give you the short elevator pitch about the book, it's about balancing a busy life where you don't necessarily have a lot of time to train, or that's uh, the premise of this book, that you do not in fact have a lot of time to train, with still trying to perform as best as you can in triathlons and how it is possible and how Matt has helped countless triathletes through Perfect Patch Fitness achieve that. So this includes how how you plan out your triathlon training and manage your expectations, how you should scale your workouts for time and fatigue and traveling and all those sorts of things I won't spill the beans just yet. We will just jump right into the interview and listen to what Matt has to say about the book. On today's episode of That Triathlon Show, I am very pleased to welcome back the first ever repeat guest of the show, Matt Dixon of Purple Patch Fitness. Matt, how are you today? Very well, very honoured. I'm the uh, the first repeating, so uh, so good to have uh, good to be back on the show. Thank you. Yes, in episode thirteen, when you were last on, we briefly discussed and mentioned that you were having this book that is going to hit the shelves very soon, and of course Amazon. And we uh, said that uh, we should have you back on when that time comes, and that time is soon. So your book is called fast track triathlete balancing a big life with big performance in long course triathlon can you tell us who exactly is this book for well this book this book is really uh, to be honest a little bit of the the opening up of of how we do things at purple patch the the guiding philosophy and it really sits at the intersection for the time starved triathlete who is has the aspirations to go and race half Ironman, Ironman 70.3 and Ironman races while trying to integrate the sport into a very busy life. And I think that there's um, there's very limited real information out there. So much of what uh, what we're pushed in the media is the magical aspirational training programs. But this is really a sort of from the ground up fix for athletes that not only want to cross the finish line, but they want to improve. They want to be able to integrate the sport into their life. But ultimately, the goal is that by doing so, yes, you will get the results that you want in the sport, but also it should improve your health. It should improve the person that you can bring to your work, your life, your family and relationships. And so it's really sort of right at that intersection of everything else that we have in movement in our life with, of course, the sport itself triathlon which is the thing that we love 
So you mentioned there are a couple of things like there not being a lot of information on this subject out there and media chatter about the perfect training program, quote unquote. And was that just what made you write this book, identifying that hole and lack of information? Or were there any other trigger events that made you decide to, to write this book? Yeah, I, I actually, uh, to be honest, I got approached to write the book. I got asked um, uh, to write it and uh, and the time felt right. Uh, I felt like uh, as I look around and if we ignore the professional athletes for a while and we look at the status quo for the challenge that most amateurs have where they have very, very busy lives, uh, I look at everything and... Uh, so much of the methodology, so much of the training, so much of the approach is trying to force athletes to fit their life into their triathlon training. And for many years now, a purple patch, we've gone about it from completely the other side of the equation. We've said, actually, let's look at these immovable things, these things that we don't want to dilute, work performance, what you can bring to your relationships and your family and your children, uh, what you can do to your health. We want these to be your foundations. And then our, our project, our goal is to integrate this sport into life. And so I felt like there was, uh, there was confusion. Every athlete that comes to Purple Patch, there's confusion, there's frustration, and there's a huge barrier to entry. In fact, many people won't even race half Ironman or Ironman races because of the misconception that they have to train X number of hours to get ready, which just simply isn't the case. And so I felt like there was a gap. I felt like uh, we had now really good success with our athletes that are time starved. And so my hope is that the information and the training plans that we provide in the book actually steers the conversation towards pragmatism and away from, from things that are so dogmatic. One of the paragraphs that I highlighted when reading about your book on the Velosport website was... Dixon's laser-focused, effective approach to workouts, recovery, strength and flexibility and nutrition means you can prepare for triathlon's greatest challenges in just 7 to 10 hours per week for half distance and 10 to 12 hours per week for full distance. Could we go into a bit of more specifics here? What does this really look like in practice? Well... It's interesting, and the, the first thing I should say is if we take the whole population of all of the Purple Patch athletes that we coach and we remove our pros, because the approach for worlds uh, for professional athletes is very, very different than this because we take their things in life and we suppress them So because the goal is unapologetically world-class performance. So if we remove them, the average number of training hours that a Purple Patch athlete is doing it's between 10 and 11 hours a week. And the reason for that is that we have other things in life that we're not willing to compromise. And yet our results that we have achieved are very good. We have at, at all levels, all the way down from people that are aiming to be podiums at, at, at Ironman and half Ironman races, all the way down to people that are just have aspiration to finish. So I think we, it, it really stems from, to answer your question, it stems for, from some out-of-the-box thinking. And to say, okay, uh, this is what we, what do we need to be successful in here? And we have to start with the reality that life is, is not rigid. It is not a spreadsheet. It is 
dynamic, it's movable, and it ebbs and flows. And if we had no commitments outside of life, absolutely, I would deliver more training hours. And when the opportunity arrives, if the opportunity arrives to pad with some more training hours because the athlete has more time, we use that. But on an ongoing basis, it's grounded in the belief that consistency over many weeks and ultimately many months, consistency is the key with specific training. And so this training program, and I've delivered two training programs in the book, one as a ramp to get ready for a half Ironman distance and one to get ready for the Ironman distance. And it's all within a time-starved mindset. Uh, But we've created the training program where it's dynamic and flexible and ultimately scalable. And so in the central heartbeat through the middle of the training program, those hours were suggested as this is what we want to be able to repeat and repeat and repeat in a really sustainable way. And then if life ebbs and flows, you might have to peel off and still retain specificity. But life brings rest days. Life brings times when you can't train as much. At the same time, if you get the opportunity, you can do some more training hours. So in fact, in the actual training programs, any given week of training that's delivered in the program, an athlete might need to pick and choose and be pragmatic and only in a single week be able to maybe hit six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours a week of training. On the flip side, there's opportunity in the program to get up to 15, 16, 17, 18 hours a week of training. So it's a really unique training program and approach that we've built in there that empowers the athlete to scale based on time restrictions, based on fatigue, and also have a very clear hierarchy of the most important sessions to get in each week so that they retain specificity, even when proverbially life brings chaos, which it so often does for very busy people. You talk about athletic IQ in the book, and is that what you just talked about with the reader or the athlete having the possibility to add a couple of hours of training when life presents opportunities to do so, but also having the responsibility to cut back when that is the sensible thing to do with all the other things that uh, life throws in the way of your training? Is, is that an example of how you would use that athletic IQ and how can you develop it and improve it? It's it's a super question. In fact, athletic IQ is is a phrase that that was sort of coined by a good friend of mine, Jerry Rodriguez from Tower 26. And um, when I was uh, an athlete swimming under Jerry, he talked about that a lot and it really resonated for me and I sort of carried that forward and... um, and use that with my athletes a lot about honing and developing the athletic IQ. Really what I mean there is is empowering the athlete to understand the intent of the prescription, why they're doing a session, and ultimately be able to have some self-management or ownership over their program. And so I try and bring that to the book as well. So rather than having an athlete be spoon-fed a program and say, here's the magic program, And success is hitting every session. Well, that's actually a really short-sighted way to go about it. And unfortunately, because of training plans need to be printed on the page, a really rigid generic training program just does that. Success or failure is hitting every session or not. And very quickly, an athlete starts to feel like they're a failure if they miss a couple of sessions a week. 
So instead, what I try and do in the book is firstly, really educate the athlete on the backbone of the program, why they go about the sessions that are prescribed in there, what the focus should be. And then secondly, on from there, empower the athlete to actually take ownership of their program, take the approach, take the training plan, apply it to their life, and then execute on a week by week basis. And it becomes very clear, very apparent, very quickly of how to actually self-manage. It's not an actually rocket science for the athlete. Once you have a, suit, a few rules in place, once you understand the key premise of each week of training and the role that it has on your journey, and then you understand the key sessions, the central sessions which the training stimulus is built around, it's not to dilute the value of the supporting sessions. Those are important too. But once you have a hierarchy, and then it empowers the athlete to be able to make smart decisions as they navigate through life. And as an athlete goes through a few cycles of this, a few weeks of this, and a whole build, and ultimately a whole season of training, they start to understand and they start to actually gain confidence in self-management. The outcome of which is yes, they actually layer on greater consistency, they arrive at races as fit as they need to be, but also fresh, and that's really important. But the second thing is there's a real confidence factor that comes because they don't arrive the week before their race and look back, which is natural human instinct, look back and think, well, this was the training program, the gold standard, but I only hit 85% of it, so therefore I failed. And that's what we want to try and get away from because that's what is not necessary to actually be ready for a performance in half Ironman or Ironman distance. And so, uh, so yes, it's absolutely that. It's the empowerment, it's the self-management, and it's something that starts with my individually coached athletes, my professional athletes, all the way down to the readers of the book that are new to this methodology. Uh, but I think the outcome that I've seen is much healthier athletes, much more confident athletes, and ultimately athletes that enjoy and immerse themselves in the process more because they understand why. And that's really, that's really empowering. And that's, that's actually in part the, the great joy of coaching this way. And a couple of examples of specific topics that are very much related to this that I just uh, looked up from your table of contents is first, how to scale your workouts for time and fatigue. So can you talk a little bit about that as an example of what uh, the listener can learn right now by listening to this podcast and uh, go into more detail by reading your book? Absolutely. And, and let's break it down and, and do firstly time and then, um, and then talk about fatigue because those are the two main reasons that you might need to scale either the duration or the intensity or both of any single workout. So if an athlete is time starved, there may be a 60 minute session, a 75 minute session, a 90 minute session of swimming, cycling and running in any given week. But as we all know, life gets in the way. And what does an athlete do when that happens? You have a 75 minute track interval session with a warm up, a pre main set, the main set of intervals for the day. And yet you arrive at the track and you realize you only have 50 minutes. What do you actually do there? So every single workout within the training program gives you tools and directions 
on how to peel back. And normally what that involves is reducing the warm up, limiting the pre-main set, but retaining the main body of the workout as much as possible, the intent of the workout, the main intervals or the meat and potatoes, as I like to say. And so I felt like it was necessary for every single workout to have that option, not as a parachute out, not as a shortcut, but actually to empower the athlete to actually say, okay, if life does get in the way, I can still retain the theme of the workout. Other things happen in life as well. We have a track, let's use the same track session in the run that we might have or an interval-based session in the run. Uh, I tend to stray more towards intervals than actually putting the people on a track. But um, we have an interval-based session, the same thing, it's 75 minutes. And yet, the person has busy travel the day before, they arrive, they have very poor sleep, they have a sick child, they go to work, they've got a deadline at work, and they get out of work and they go and do their interval session and they approach the session and they're exhausted. What do you do in that situation? You are hormonally, emotionally, and physically exhausted. And it may be because of an accumulation of training load, but more likely it's a little bit of training load combined with all of those life stress factors. So what do we do in that situation? Do you stubbornly follow the program or do we give you tools and education and guidance to empower you to try the start of the workout, see what happens, and if the body is simply not responding, it's better to move on, come back to that workout at a different time, and what we integrate in the fatigue scale is what do you do to this workout in situation? And it might be to transition to more of a form-based run in our case study, or it might be to move to a bit more of a progressive, building, smooth effort that still has high value, but goes away and deviates from the original prescribed effort. And ultimately, both of these are all about big picture lens. So never focusing on any training program or athletic success being driven by a singular workout but instead forcing the athlete, having the athlete take the big picture view, the consistency view, so that they can actually tie together weeks and weeks and weeks of training so that you can deliver performance rather than obsessively, stubbornly driving yourself off a cliff of fatigue or into illness or into injury. And that's what we want to avoid. So that's why both fatigue and time has been scaled in every single workout as a backdrop, as an option. Yeah, that's great. And one thing that springs to mind here is a recent interview that I did with David Tilbury Davis and uh, him mentioning that after first, as you suggest, uh, trying to do a little bit of the workout and see how your body responds, then maybe breaking up the intervals into shorter segments and still trying to get a lot of the work in that way, but not sacrificing form and focus due to having too long intervals. So so what's your take on, on that approach to deal with fatigue? Yeah, I mean, I, and, and I know David very well, and I think he's, uh, he's spot on in his thinking. Uh, he's a smart coach. And, um, uh, it, you know, I, I think that... Um, there is often a we have to we have to first um i guess the best way to answer it is there is often a difference in the perception of fatigue and your resources your physical resources you have and the actual physical resources that you have and secondly we don't want to pull the pin on hard work every time you get tired and so 
you you nearly always and that the training program and each workout prescribes this and it comes across very clearly in the book you always have to give the body its chance and so just because you're sleepy at the start of the day and life has got on top of you, it doesn't mean that you always just say, oh, I'm going to take the fatigue option. You still go through warm up. You still go through the pre-main set. And quite often you go on to have a fabulous training session. And that training session might be as originally prescribed. So so that is an option. That's That's in fact the norm. What you do have, though, as the athlete on the back end is to say, okay, well, I started to feel the accumulation of life stress. My body still gave me good intervals, which is super. I want to log that in the back of my mind and just remember that. And let's double down on focus of good nutrition, good sleep, and everything else that comes along with it. If the body is truly cognitively fatigued, then there's lots of ways to skin a cat. And one of those options, which is a super option, and some of the sessions in the book have this, is exactly that, scaling down the duration. Don't go 400s, go 100s, but do them well, still get the stimulus, and then don't feel guilty. The only thing I'd add to, to David on the backside, which which maybe he said, but and then move on. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel like you're a failure. You've still got some high value out of it. And then ultimately, though, carry that, that mindset, what happened today, carry that to tomorrow, not as a burden, but as a, as an, as a, as a thought in the back of your mind of like, okay, I, I was on the edge yesterday and I scaled it down. Let's see what happens. And so it's really, I think what David's saying, what I'm saying is the pragmatic, honest, reality based approach where you're always looking to yield. You're not looking to pull the parachute every time you get a little bit, a little bit tired. But you also, on the reverse, both of us are saying, don't just drive yourself off a cliff. Don't say, I must do 10 400s because that's what's written, period. And then you end up getting really poor training with little value, high propensity for sickness, high propensity for injury, and great inconsistency. And that's that's what really happens for many age group athletes. Up and down with too many frequent sicknesses, too frequent um, uh, injuries, and or ultimately arriving to race day really fit, done the entire training program loyally, rigidly, but poor performances on the actual day that it counts because you're flat hormonally, you're tired, and you can't wait for it to be over. Okay, and then the second example that I want to ask you about is something that comes up all the time, and that is how do you combine a busy traveling schedule with training? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I mean, travel is the the big curse of of many athletes, and you know that really what we're trying to we have a a whole section, a whole chapter in the book around training and travel, and uh, and most of the education delivered. Uh, on this area is really born out of some of the tips, tricks, and approach and protocols that we use for, yes, our professional athletes, but also a lot of the CEOs that I work with. I, I'm very lucky to work with some very busy, time-starved uh, CEOs of companies that, of course, have massive travel, both across the U.S., but also to Europe and Asia. And um, And as we've gone through the process, We've had to create a system and a series of protocols to to both mitigate or minimize the effects of travel and also how to tailor and anchor training around that travel. 
and there are some there are a few very simple things that you can do uh, at the high end you can actually manage and manipulate things like light and the timing of eating the timing of hydration pre during and following your travel uh, on top of that it's how you actually weave the training and the mindset that you do how you organize your days leading into the travel how do you organize your days coming out of the travel and then there are really two main factors that you want to consider the first is in your travel if you're if you're crossing time zones are you actually crossing time zones and aiming to remain on the same home time zone that you left from or do you need to actually adapt to the new time zone to be able to have peak performance during that session or, or during the time when you're actually operating there of course in racing you always want to convert to peak performance at that time zone but if you're doing a trip from new york to london and back to new york when you're in london you may want to actually remain on new york timing and so in this book i like to lean into experts in fields outside of triathlon and outside of my own expertise so beyond what i've learned in the book we actually have a lot of information a lot of education a lot of guidance from dr chris winter who's a sleep expert he works with many of the professional sports teams that are out there and his singular focus in life is all about performance relative to sleep and that includes travel for time zones and getting ready for prime performance either retaining time zone that you're from or converting to time zone and so a lot of that comes through in the book and ultimately we try and then extend that into the training program that we deliver at the end of the book to try and give the person <coughs> the reader the tools to actually be successful so there's it's a huge focus because so many time staff people have travel as a part of their lives what about some practical things like not having access to a bike during travel and potentially finding it hard to get to pools and uh, probably in many cases also doing very long work days during your traveling what what tips do you have for for those kinds of things well it's uh, you know there's nothing uh, peeves me more than um, than hearing of coaches prescribing Uh, three-hour bike rides to an athlete that's traveling to New York with only a pair of shoes <laughs> in their bag, and um, and so the the first thing is actually taking a step back. And what we try and integrate as a habit for an athlete that is time starved is this revolutionary thing called planning. Very simple planning, and because any given week, any given block of training has uh, a hierarchy of training sessions. And you can see what's coming. You can see the keen sessions. It provides flexibility or some a certain amount of dynamic nature to the training program, and so it prov it, it it opens the door of opportunity to move some sessions around without diluting the effectiveness or the intent of the prescription. So what we try and have athletes do is take a step back, typically on a weekly basis, normally our Sunday planning, as we call it, and we have a look at the landscape of the week. And if there is travel that's coming up, the first thing you have to do is you have to plan for it. And the second thing is that when you are traveling, we have to realize we cannot ignore the stress of that travel. So we can't ignore that travel is a really stressful thing. So we try and avoid having high intensity or heavy stressful sessions on the day of travel or even the day before travel, if it's a major series of travel. And then 
on a more macro level, if we know that the athlete is away for a week, for 10 days, and they're not going to have access to the bike, well, that's okay. That, that life brings that. That's, that's the same for almost every athlete in the world. That can happen. And so we just modulate the training program. And rather than focusing on what we can't do and what we're missing, instead we use it as an opportunity to focus on what we can do. And the lovely thing about triathlon is that it is one sport, swim, bike, run. But that sport is comprised of three disciplines. And so the challenge of triathlon is working on three disciplines at once. But so often travel, rather than seeing it unhinging and saying, unhinging and saying, oh, I can't ride my bike, it provides an opportunity to work on your running and put a little running block in there because you can run pretty much anywhere and potentially swimming if you've got that access to a pool. And so in the book, we try and talk about the planning of it, the management of it, and also the lens of not feeling like you're necessarily going backwards because one of the disciplines it is impossible for you to execute for a block of time. And again, it comes back to the overriding thesis of consistency over many months being the most important thing. So one week of no riding is not going to be a factor. Okay, got it. And then we talked a lot about how different factors affect training, but uh, from a bigger picture perspective and the training life balance in general, how does uh, the book handle that and, and go into that managing life along with managing your training? If that question is clear. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it is. <laughs> I'll do my best. You know, the, It, it, what we start with is a grounding of what we're trying to achieve. And um, and we have to first talk about stress. We have to talk about the big life that we all lead and the immovable factors in life. So we most people have work, family and relationships, potentially some travel, hopefully some form of a social life. And then we're looking to fit in this demanding sport, swim, bike, run, and hopefully strength, or getting ready for a long course triathlon, half Ironman or Ironman. Uh, but the same principles apply for an athlete that's trying to get ready for Olympic distance as well, I should point out. Uh, but these are not, not mutually exclusive. They interact with each other. They're all a part of the big puzzle. And so I spend actually a couple of chapters in the book framing what success is, And how can we actually be successful and what the outcome is that we want? And so with training, we always talk about maximizing your, your specific training time while yielding positive adaptations. And if you can do that and creating sustainable effort, the net effect should be, yes, you improve across the sports and bike and run, and therefore you're ready for your events that you're looking to do. But we also talk about the impact of stress uh, with lack of sleep or really good quality sleep, poor nutrition or really good nutrition, making sure that we're ready to perform at work, perform for our family and everything else that goes along with a big life. And the net effect should be that if we can get this recipe right and you, you ultimately, yes, you can improve in triathlon, but 
the other factors of your life should improve. You should Im- you should have more energy ba- more energy in the day with better energy balance. You should have better health profile. It should be easier for you to come to better body composition, and overall, you should be happier. So that's the outcome that you want. So we have to first explain how that all interacts and what are the key basic habits. And they are pretty basic. It's complex stuff boiled down to very simple applications. And what are the key central habits across all of those disciplines that will yield that rather utopian outcome that we talk about? And that means that we have to discuss and implement proper sleep. We have to discuss and implement proper fueling. We have to discuss and implement proper nutrition, hydration, and ultimately all grounded in a very simple, smart application that is driven by pragmatism and the reality of life. And that's why we always talk about performance within context. So how do I actually achieve great performance within context of my life? And there has to be an alignment there, of course. And so... I think that goes some way to uh, to answering your question. If not, you can re-ask it. Yeah, it definitely does. And it makes me think about how important it is to have the right expectations and uh, really sit down and do that planning phase that you discuss properly, considering all the movables, the constraints that you have, and uh, considering your training a problem that you need to find a solution to with those constraints and those different variables that come into play. And again, not having the expectation that on 10 hours per week of training, you're going to be the next Jan Frodeno, but you can still be a great athlete when you are consistent and you have those great habits and that consistency sticks with you for years and years and years. So I think that that is probably one of the most important points that we'll get to really understand when we read the book, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the pre-orders will ship on the 26th of September. So by the time the listeners hear this, that will be just a week or so away. Is there anything else that we haven't mentioned so far that you want to discuss uh, related to this book? Obviously, we need to mention that... uh, In your previous appearance on the show, we discussed at length your uh, concept of the pillars of performance for triathletes, which are nutrition, recovery, functional strength training, and endurance training. And that episode was uh, episode 13, and you can find that on scientifictriathlon.com forward slash TTS 13. You know, the, the, the last two things I would say is, is, I think that your last point there is really important. Look, ultimately, in in a utopian mindset, if I'm training a professional athlete or someone who has absolutely no restrictions in their life all the time in the world, and then you would apply more training hours, none of my professional athletes are only training 10 hours a week. And so there's an acknowledgement of that, and that's utopian. But there is a, a factor that whenever I start a talk and I say, how many hours a week do you have to get ready to successfully complete or improve your performance in an Ironman. And typically people say at least 20 hours a week. And it's simply not true. We've had multiple age group world champions in Ironman and half Ironman distance that have consistently layered on 10, 11, 12 hours a week. Is that optimal if they didn't have any other factors in their life? No, I would apply more training, but in the context of their life, 
it's absolutely the appropriate dose. And we have to think out of the box to help you do that. But all of those athletes were very, very consistent. They were really healthy. And when they arrived at their races, they basically showed up very, very fit for many months of training, but really fresh as well. The, the second thing and the final thing that, that I will say as a, as a teaser, which I think is, um, is very proud, is one of the things that I often get uh, when I read books is I finish the last page and I close the book and say, that was hopefully enjoyable. That was enlightening. Now what? And, and the reason that I've put in the training program in there is to provide the athlete with a little bit of know what, but the other thing that we've actually added in this book is the central part of purple patch outside of just the normal coaching and the providing of training programs is education. So what we've done in this book is for readers that buy the book, there's a code in each book that opens up that access to all of our education. And so you can actually finish the book and carry on. And so what we've done is we've created a special program for fast track triathlete readers where they can actually get a free membership to our education program. It's usually $25 a month. So about the cost of the book and they can get free education to dive in and immerse themselves with all of our education, all of our resources, and actually connect with us at Purple Patch. And I did that so that we can try and carry on the conversation because I feel like with any book, you try and get as much as you can in, but you're always ultimately limited by the number of pages that you can cram in. And so, um, so hopefully this can be a conversation starter. It's going to be, I think, a little disruptive to the norm but I feel like the industry needs disruption. It needs a different way of thinking about it, and it needs practical solutions for very busy athletes so that we can enjoy the sport, not be injured, not be healthy, and feel like we can integrate the sport into a big life and make our life bigger, make it better, and still improve. And that, that's my hope, and that's my aspiration. That's absolutely fantastic, and I, for one, can't wait to get my hands on this book i just need to get myself an address in portugal first before i can actually order it and have it shipped but that will be sorted soon i'm sure and uh, matt i want to really congratulate you because i think you're spot on with the topic of this book and and how should i say the target uh, group the target demographic of triathletes because this is definitely the big bucket of triathletes that you're addressing here i converse with a lot of triathletes through the podcast the newsletter and so on and obviously the athletes that i coach myself and i know very very few that uh, can train even 10 hours per week i think it's uh, more like six or seven hours for most and actually on a recent coaching course that i attended we talked about the statistics among finnish triathletes and the average seemed to be i think it was six hours per week that that Finnish triathletes, age group triathletes train per week on average. So you've hit the bullseye here with the big bucket of triathletes and that is fantastic. Obviously there are age groupers that can train 20 hours per week and it's uh, great for them but uh, we need a way to make use of those 7 to 10 hours or at most 12 hours that for most of us age groupers is the realistic target. So congratulations on that. And if the listeners want to learn more about you, again, I highly, highly recommend listening to episode 13 of that triathlon show. I consider it required listening, really. 
And then we have your website, purplepatchfitness.com. And on social media, you can be found on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at purplepatch. We'll have all your links linked up in the show notes. Is there anything else that uh, we should talk about and that you want to mention before we close off the show? No, just that uh, the book is now available for pre-sales. It, it hits the... Um it's been printed right now. It's uh, October 14th. It's live, but pre-sales will be shipped before then. And and in fact, there is a, a special offer at Purple Patch right now, purplepatchfitness.com, that if you do order the book from Purple Patch, which will be a signed copy, an autographed copy, you'll also get a, a special promotion for um, lots of money off of Purple Patch coaching if you want to take the next step as well. So it's available for athletes right now. So get ordering, get sharing. Perfect. And once again, the book is Fast Track Triathlete, Balancing a Big Life with Big Performance in Long Course Triathlon. And it will be linked up in the show notes on that triathlonshow.com. This has been Matt Dixon from Purple Patch Fitness. Thank you, Matt, for coming on the show. It was once again a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Take care, Michael. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode and again please check out Matt's book I know I will I will read it uh, as soon as I get my hands on it which uh, will be soon and uh, you can find link to the books on the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com you can contact me and send me questions as usual on my email michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a k or tweet me on twitter my handle is at scitriat. The next episode of the show which will be released on Monday is with Dr. Naora Echebaria. I hope I pronounced that right and she has been working she is now assistant professor at the University of Canberra and works with high performance sports and she has also previously been at the Australian Institute of Sports and with British Triathlon and we will talk about cycling and running and the physiology of cycling and running performance and especially when combining the two in triathlon so again running well off the bike as we discussed a few episodes ago and she knows uh, all the science there is to know about that topic but we will also get into a lot of practical tips as usual because that's at the end of the day what i want to bring out with these episodes please tell a friend about the podcast if you haven't already that's uh, one of the best ways that you can help me with the show and getting it out to as big an audience as possible and thank you as always for listening Keep training smart and keep loving crap.